0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The Ticketmaster breach is the tip of a big software supply chain iceberg. Chinese intelligence services are closely interested in Cambodia's elections— iOS crashes appear related to code designed to block displays of Taiwan's flag to users in China, Congress wants some answers on smartphone privacy from both Apple and Alphabet, Facebook's wrist is slapped in the UK, and a Langley Credit Union identity theft case proves not necessarily related to the OPM breach. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. The large Ticketmaster breach disclosed on June 27th was, according to security firm RiskIQ, just a small part of a much larger criminal card-skimming operation. Magecart, a criminal gang that's been active since at least 2015, is thought responsible The entire caper extends to somewhat more than 800 e-commerce sites worldwide. Magecart works by installing skimmer software into third-party components and services used by the retail sites. The Magecart operation is a bit different from the standard kind of skimmer you might encounter in a checkout line or at a gas pump. Their skimmers are digital, software insinuated into online commerce sites, normally through the compromise of some third-party vendor. RiskIQ describes the skimmer as simple but obfuscated. The security firm also thinks the criminals are getting smarter in their approach. Instead of fiddling with individual websites or web pages, they've found they get a better return if they compromise third parties who supply scripts to retailers. The third party vendors RiskIQ mentions are Inventa, Socia Plus, Push Assist, and Annex Cloud. The potential for large scale paycard theft is serious. RiskIQ's IQ's blog says that, quote, MageCard is an active threat that operates at a scale and breadth that rivals or possibly surpasses the recent compromises of retail giants such as Home Depot and Target, end quote. Another way of looking at the case, of course, is that it's a supply chain issue. Supply chains can deliver software as much as they can hardware, and they're all attractive to operators with bad intentions. Chinese espionage services are, according to FireEye, vigorously prospecting Cambodian political, media, and government targets in advance of that country's elections scheduled for July 29th. Prime Minister Hun Sen is seeking re election. He's running without any effective opposition. The opposing Cambodia National Rescue Party was dissolved last year and its leader arrested on suspicion of plotting with the U.S. to overthrow the government. That arrest is widely regarded as founded on a bogus accusation. Bloomberg quotes FireEye Sources as saying, quote, We expect this activity to provide the Chinese government with widespread visibility into Cambodian elections and government operations. The compromises fit the overall M.O. of Chinese espionage in that they gather up all the information that they can. Quote. Chinese operators are said to be targeting the opposition, human rights groups, and media organizations – They have also extended their activities to government bodies, including the National Election Commission, the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, the Ministry of Economics and Finance, and the Senate. It's an instructive case of the extent to which intelligence services will go to inform themselves concerning matters that aren't in serious doubt. In another story with a Chinese government angle, people have reported that some iPhones have been crashing entering a denial-of-service condition that Apple patched Monday. The problem seems related to Apple's willingness to placate China's government by ensuring that iOS devices in China wouldn't display Taiwan's flag as an emoji option. Digital security founder Patrick Wardle, who investigated, believes devices crashed because iOS was coded to treat the Taiwan emoji as an invalid input. Confusion over location and language settings appears to have triggered the problem. If you are looking toward another problematic time for Apple users, wait until October 10th, celebrated in Taiwan as Double Ten Day, the national holiday. High-profile cases of insider threats like Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning attract attention and generate headlines, and justifiably so. Ken Spinner is VP of Global Field Engineering at Veronis, and he wonders if we're being distracted and taking our eye off the ball.
1: It's gotten to the point where people at bars and at restaurants know the names of Manning and Snowden and Winner and so on, but they lose sight of all the other things that are happening. You know, they lose sight of all the other people that are potentially stealing data. And whether those people are insiders or whether those people are trusted outsiders or whether those people are potentially consultants and contractors.
0: Now, what do you think organizations
1: are getting it wrong? I don't think they're focusing enough on insider threats and i certainly don't think they're focusing enough on data if you look at what people are going after typically they're going after data and they're going after data that potentially can be mined for specific types of information or they might be going after data that they can monetize so because of that i think a lot of organizations are neglecting going after the people who are actually searching for the data and they're not doing enough behavioral analysis to determine, you know, when somebody is behaving incorrectly or correctly.
0: So let's dig into to that in terms of a solution. So we've got behavioral analysis. Walk us through what you mean by that.
1: Uh, I'll give you an example. Typically, if you have, let's say, a finance person, they're probably going to access similar files every day. They're probably going to access those files from the same machines every day and they're probably gonna do it during normal business hours. The technologies that are out there need to be able to determine what constitutes normal. And the technologies that are out there also need to be able to determine very quickly what constitutes to abnormal. So if you have a finance person and they're working after hours and all of a sudden you see that they're coming from a machine that's not their normal machine, you might wanna be suspicious of it and you might wanna start investigating what was going on with that individual. Now, if you also know that the data that they're accessing is potentially really important financial data, really important to the company, you're going to start to potentially start investigating what that data was and why is it so important and why is that individual accessing it during hours that might not be appropriate from a machine that might not be appropriate.
0: Now, how about encryption and protecting the data at rest and in transit? How much could that contribute to uh, a solution to this problem?
1: Oh it absolutely contributes encryption like every other type of security technology out there is very important but at the same time encryption only helps when you have people who are potentially should not have access to that information but if you're granting access to somebody or if somebody you know as an example a person loses their credentials or credentials are stolen then encryption might not help and what i mean by that is the person's already got access to that information which means that they've been granted access and they more than likely have the keys to that particular encrypted file or folder. So they'll be able to access it anyway.
0: So what you're advocating is really a system that um, learns the habits of your employees uh, and then also implements a, a set of boundaries and can alert when things go outside of those boundaries.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm also looking to get deeper into automation. So when manual processes break, automation takes control. So, and what I mean by that is, if you have an individual who grants access or over permissive access, we should have the proper tools in place to make sure that that's controlled by some other automated process. Typically people don't do a good enough job making sure that they understand what type of data they manage, the criticality of that data for the business, the criticality of of that data for ongoing operations. And if they do that right, and they do behavioral analytics on that data, They'll be able to manage and secure that data a lot better.
0: That's Ken Spinner from Veronis. The U.S. Congress continues to question Google and Apple over user tracking practices. Apple said it will limit the user data third party developers can get from Apple devices, but the House of Representatives Energy and Commerce Committee would like to know why the developers are allowed access to any data at all. The committee is also interested in what's up with respect to privacy in the Android ecosystem especially since reports surfaced recently that Google has continued to enable data scanning for target marketing. Facebook also remains under scrutiny. The UK's information commissioner has fined the company £500,000. Observers dismissed this as chicken feed, but the commissioner also called for an ethical pause in micro-targeted advertising, which could be more consequential if it turns out to be something more than merely aspirational. Facebook is also facing more litigation. An Australian litigation funder, IMF Bentham, has opened a class-action suit against Facebook for privacy matters pertaining to the Cambridge Analytica affair. The Pirate Bay is now telling users up front that it intends to crypto-jack their CPUs. They can like it or lump it, install an ad blocker, or get off their site. And finally, you may recall the case of Kareva Cross, who last month copped a guilty plea to having used stolen identification information to get fraudulent personal and vehicle loans from the Langley Federal Credit Union. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Virginia, which prosecuted the case, issued a press release at the time that explained Ms. Cross got her stolen personal information from the large data breach the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, OPM, sustained, or at least discovered and disclosed back in 2014. It turns out that this probably isn't true at all. Ms. Cross didn't necessarily get the personal data she stole from the OPM breach. The Justice Department corrected itself in a letter to Senator Warner, a Democrat from Virginia. Instead, what happened seems to be that some of the victims whose data had been used told investigators that their information had been compromised by the OPM incident. But that's not surprising since an awful lot of people were affected by that breach, and since an awful lot of them no doubt live or work in the vicinity of Langley, Virginia. There's no evidence that Ms. Cross actually used data from the breach in her crimes, and so justice was premature, as they put it, in jumping to its conclusion. The episode is a nice illustration of the logical fallacy of affirming the consequent. If someone's data used in the identity theft were traceable to the OPM breach, then that person would have been a victim of the OPM breach, Right? But it doesn't follow that any case of identity theft involving a victim of the OPM breach is therefore traceable to that OPM breach. Who in the world knows where Ms. Cross got her data? Well, presumably she does. But the inference the press release draws is invalid. And here all of us were marveling at the investigative work that traced the OPM data to fraud at the credit union. Consider this. If Abraham Lincoln fell off the Empire State Building, then he'd be dead. Abraham Lincoln is dead, therefore he fell off the Empire State Building. No, that's the fallacy of affirming the consequent. Class dismissed, Eastern District of Virginia. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is from the Internet Storm Center Stormcast, a daily podcast from the Sands Institute. Uh, Johannes, welcome back. Um, You know, we've been seeing a lot of talk lately about uh, efforts to secure DNS. Uh, What can you share about that?
2: Yes, thanks for having me. DNS, of course, is one of those uh, ancient protocols as far as the internet is concerned. Actually, one of the big success stories in the ways it survived and really has scaled so far. But uh, one issue we always had with DNS uh, was privacy. Now, initially, the security concerns with DNS were more around integrity of the data, like DNS spoofing and you know, DNSSEC, of course, was invented to prevent this. DNSSEC had a little bit of a rocky start and isn't really used all that much, but really the only thing it prevents is someone from spoofing a DNS. As an end user, that tends to be not a huge concern. What you're really more concerned about is privacy, and uh, some recent efforts uh, really sort of have uh, put more attention to that, for example, DNS over TLS. You may have heard about Cloudflare setting up uh, their own public DNS resolver 1.1.1.1. That DNS resolver now, for example, supports uh, DNS over TLS. So if you have, for example, a home router uh, or on your desktop software that does support DNS over TLS, then you can take advantage of this and your ISP no longer knows what uh, DNS uh, resolutions you actually perform. Now, from a defensive point of view, this can also be a problem uh, because DNS has sort of been one of the ways how we're able to inspect some of this uh, traffic in our networks. With more and more traffic, moving to HTTPS and encrypted traffic in general. DNS was sort of not the one opening we had to really see uh, what sites our users were visiting. Actually, another sort of little uh, protocol that uh, starts to take off now uh, is DNS over HTTPS. Uh, DOH, it's sometimes abbreviated as. Hmm. And now in your network, everything will go over HTTPS, including uh, DNS, which, of course, uh, for enterprise. And so will make it more difficult to defend.
0: In your estimation, is, is that a worthwhile trade-off?
2: Well, I think it depends on your sort of threat model and what network you're in. I think for a home user of your traveling and connecting to less than trustworthy networks, you know, DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS are, will create protocols in enterprise networks, I think you, know, you still want to have more control over where users are going, what they're doing with your systems, and you know, if the data that you have, and that's also consumer data, is protected well. In those cases, I think you would still want to retain that internal visibility, but the way you can do it and still sort of take advantage of the privacy is where you essentially configure your internal clients that they connect to your internal resolver. But then that internal resolver can still take advantage of protocols like DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS to preserve the privacy as the data leaves your network.
0: All right. Well, as always, good information. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.